0: Would it be awkward if we sat here and looked at each other while we prayed? Yeah. Who said, yeah? Tom says that's, that's awkward. Pastor Conrad Showalter, he said, why do we close our eyes to pray when the world is like so beautiful and showing forth the glory of God? So he would always just pray with his eyes open. He'd be looking right at you, praying to the Lord, and I'd be like, where do I look? <laughs> I'll look this way too. Help, you know? But that's interesting, isn't it? Funny little traditions. We better all close our eyes and bow our heads. Says who? I ain't seen that in the book. In fact, in the book, what it says is raise holy hands in prayer. How about we did that today instead? Instead of closing your eyes and bowing your heads, let's do something that's biblical. Raise your hands to the Lord. All right, let's pray. Father, we want you. We want you, God. We want you, Father. We want you more. We want you more, God. God, we pray for your kingdom to come. We pray, God, that you'd bless this nation. We pray that you'd bless our leaders, God. Give them wisdom, God. Give them strength. Give them heart. Give them diligence to serve the people well. God, we pray for righteous laws and for just judges. We pray for transformation at every level. We pray for your people, Father, in every nation right now, in every nation to be raised up with power from the Holy Spirit to shine in this hour, no matter, what that's, no matter what they face, no matter what we're facing. I pray the gospel goes forth, God, today all over this planet and then all this week through your people. I pray now in this time, God, that you'd give us ears to hear what you are saying so that we can treasure your words and find life in your words. And God's people said... Amen. I saw you still close your eyes. <laughs> Them traditions die hard, y'all. Okay. We finished up last week with verse 2, so here we go on verse 3. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This is the word of the Lord. This really is God's word. I'm going to read it again. We always pray for you. Wow. We always pray for you. Either that's true or it's not. And if it is true, that's crazy. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God. We're always praying, and we're always giving thanks. Interesting. Always giving thanks, always praying, always giving thanks, always praying, always giving thanks. I ain't even preaching yet, I'm still reading, okay? This doesn't count. I mean, the timer's going down, but I'm saying it doesn't count yet. We always pray for you and we, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope. Both of those, their faith in Jesus and their love for people, come from their confident hope of what God has reserved for them in heaven. That's interesting. And then he says, You've had this expectation... It's another word for hope. An expectation of good coming in your future. That's hope. If you have hope, you expect the future to be good. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. Okay, let's start unpacking. We always pray for you. We always pray for you. Okay, now that is fascinating. There was a time when there was unbroken fellowship, unbroken relationship with God in the garden. There was a time when the fellowship with God in the garden was unbroken. And then there was a time when sin entered the picture. And the next thing you know, instead of walking with God, and prayer being just conversation, now prayer, now connection with God, after sin entered the picture, has to be carefully channeled through sacrifices at special times and special places with special mediators. Now prayer is something that you go up to the house of the Lord to do or you go up to the high places to do or you set up a pillar of stones and you make sacrifice to the Lord to do. And I don't know, if you, who remembers the situation, the story when Solomon dedicates the temple in Jerusalem? Do you remember this? Really, it was David who wanted to do it, but it was Solomon who got to do it? Anybody remember the prayer with Solomon prays? He says, okay, this is 1 uh, Chronicles. I wrote it down in my notes. 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 8. Solomon says to God, God, no, 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 this is the Holy Spirit talking to Solomon. I never chose a city to put a dwelling. I never chose a city. I chose David. And David said, "Can I build you a house? Isn't that that's already like blowing your mind, blowing my mind?" He says, "I didn't pick Jerusalem; I picked David." Come on, somebody! And then Solomon says, "Oh my goodness, you're so big. How could you possibly dwell here? No, no, no home could contain you." But here's what I'm asking. Let's, he says, let's be realistic. This little temple, this little t- temple that we're building today, that we're consecrating, he says, let's get realistic. God can't possibly be contained within this thing, but here's what we are asking. He says, we're dedicating this temple, but here's what we're asking. We're asking that your ears would be open to whatever prayers we pray from in this place. And further, as we pray toward this place, we ask that your ears would be open and that your eyes would be on this place because of your covenant with David. So why was this place consecrated a house of prayer? For David's sake. Why would the prayers in this place be honored? For David's sake. Beloved, who is the temple of the Lord now? We are. We are the... And it says, then when Solomon prayed this prayer, the glory of God came down so thick in that little building... Which seemed big to them. In that little building. So strong that the priests could not move. They couldn't minister. It says they could not stand. Oh, that's my dream. That's my favorite day. Is when the presence floods the house. So strong I can't function. Because the glory is in the place. Come on. You get up different when that happens. So yes to that every time you ever want to, Father. More, please. But what's the point of that? The son, that was God's yes to the prayer. I will be attentive to prayers offered in this place. For whose sake? I have made a covenant with David. That's why I'm going to honor the prayers in this place. Now fast forward to us. We are the temple. Now Paul says we always pray. We are... Look, why did Paul say, why, why, why could he always pray? He could always pray because his fellowship was unbroken. Why was his fellowship unbroken? He didn't have to wait till sacrifices were offered, once a year. He didn't have to wait until the daily sacrifices were offered. He didn't have to go up to the place. Remember in Daniel chapter six? It says that he prays three times a day with always facing Jerusalem? Because he, he's banking on this idea that God has covenant with David, and God said yes to the prayers offered in this place. So three times a day, he kneels, He gets alone in his room and he faces Jerusalem because he knows God's covenant with David stands and I'm getting in on it. Now here's Paul, 500 years later, saying, we pray always. Paul, how can you always pray? Well, you can always pray if you're under grace because it's permanent, it's a permanent sacrifice that's put you in unbroken fellowship. If you're in a state of grace... It's not grace for you when you mess up, but then you get back under works until you mess up again. If you're in a state of grace, it's a guarantee, and his presence doesn't leave. And you are that temple. Now, whose sake? For whose sake? It's for the king. Which king? David? No, no, no. The son of David. For the sake of the name Jesus, the Father hears the prayers offered in this temple. We are this temple, guys. This this whole thing of we always pray, we always pray, we always pray, whether we're walking, whether we're driving in the car, whether we're, it's, oh my God, here it comes again, I'm shaking. It's like Holy Spirit, just turn it down a, a little. You said turn it up, I could feel it. You were like, you said, when I said turn it down, you guys were, no, turn it up, God. Help me, Jesus, I'm not going to be able to function. We always pray, whether we're in the car, whether we're in the bed, whether we're going through good times and it's like, oh, yes, Lord, or whether we're going through hard times and it's like, help, Jesus. We always pray and we always can pray because we are not coming to God on the basis of our faithfulness. We are coming to God on the basis of the covenant he made with his son, David, who stood in that place and cut a covenant with Father God. So now that we're in Jesus, we are the temple and the presence abides here and he doesn't leave. And he's always attentive to all the prayers that we offer in this body. So we can just pray. Remember when Nehemiah went before the king and it says the king asked a question? Good Lord, this is distracting. Father, maybe the other hand. Help. Help. And y'all think, you want, you want more. I can feel it. You're like, give him more. You remember when Nehemiah went before the king because he was so heartbroken with the state of God's people? He was so heartbroken with the state of God's people. He was so heartbroken with the state of the city of God. He was so heartbroken that the walls had been broken down and no one had restored the people of God. No one had restored the dwellings. He was so heartbroken So he prayed, and then he went before the king, and then the king asked him a hard question. It says, and then I prayed and answered. Did he call, hold on, king, give me an hour to pray about this. No, right in that moment, in that three-second gap between the king asking the question and him giving his answer, he prayed to the Lord. Interesting. Did he look like he was praying? Of course not. Like, this is, this is the thing we've been brought into, guys. We have such unbroken access to the Father. Isn't it interesting? When it says, if you see your brother caught in a sin, in 1 John, it says, if you see your brother caught in a sin, what, should it, what, do, you, what do you do? Isn't that interesting? You pray. If you see your brother, no, I'm sorry, not caught in a sin, that's, that's Galatians 6. Galatians 6 says, if you see your brother caught in a sin, you should gently restore but First John says, if you see your brother sin, you pray. And that's it. That's all that's required. Because you pray, Holy Spirit moves, that person's heart changes, and you can go to sleep at night knowing he will. Interesting. I wonder if we believe that. But if he's caught in it, then you go in a spirit of gentleness. And you go with trepidation and humility knowing, I could, if I come with the wrong attitude, I could literally get caught in the same sin. I could literally open myself up in my pride to be elevated in the way I'm approaching them, and then I get caught in sin. Maybe the same, maybe different. But isn't it interesting the faith your authors of your book have in prayer? Isn't it interesting the faith they have in prayer? Isn't it interesting that they don't think prayer is like what you do when nothing else works, but prayer is what you do, and that makes everything else work? I'm just fascinated. So whatever belief comes into our head that makes Doug's keyboard fall off and break, Whatever belief that comes into our our head that belittles the idea that my prayers are powerful can't be God. Your prayers are powerful. Your prayers are powerful. James says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed and then it didn't rain. Then he prayed and it did. And God's no respecter of persons. We always pray for you. We always pray for you. We always pray for you. Here's a fun thing. You know, when you say things like, I'll be praying for you. Why don't you just pray right then and there? Gabe the other day said, why do people say they're going to pray and not pray? It's not like it's hard to pray. You just think to the Lord, he's right here. And I said, that's pretty funny. Why do we say and not do when it's that easy to just say, in Jesus' name, God bless this person, help this person. Usually if I send you a text that says I'm praying for you now, I mean right now. I start praying and then I hit send. That just keeps me from sinning and lying. When I, I'll be praying for a brother. Will you? Just do it then. Sometimes I've noticed it's extremely helpful when you've been praying for someone for a while. Like, And I don't mean like when you've been praying for someone. It's really helpful to then let them know what you've been praying for them. Because God lives in you. And God gives you a heart for people. You know, we're naturally selfish, right? So when you, when you find yourself wanting to pray for God's will to be done in someone's life out of a heart of love, you know, Maybe that's God. (laughs) That's a joke. It's obviously God, not maybe. Definitely that's God. And sharing what you've been praying for someone with them can edify them. Some of the most beautiful and precious passages in the Bible are prayers. What Jesus prayed for his church blows your mind. God, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one. I'm praying for them to be one i and them and you and me and i and them that we may be one that the world might know that you sent me come on like stuff like that just like what or paul praying we'll get to it later no we won't yes we will now that's a different book ephesians 3 so the the prayer in ephesians 1 the prayer in ephesians 3 those passages are just like mind-blowingly beautiful Hearing what he's praying lets you understand what he thinks matters most and how life actually works. Because when life's going crazy, instead of praying about the crazy, what he's praying is Holy Spirit's power to come in that they'll know how loved they are. And you go, why is he ignoring that out there instead of just talking about this in here? Because he knows if this is in here, then it doesn't matter what happens here. They're going to shine in the midst of it. Because faith isn't a way to fix the problems. Faith is a way to shine in the midst of the problems. Faith is not a way of manipulating God and controlling circumstances. Faith is a way to get in touch with truth and God in such a way that you can rise and shine in the midst of whatever happens and manifest the character of Jesus and, and he looks good. And you see him as he is. And people go, well, don't pray for patience. Don't pray for character. Don't pray for good fruit because God will let suffering come on you and who wants to face that? I mean, we don't say it. We just think it. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody's like, we pray for him to have patience. Remember that? Like, you know, a few years ago a lady prayed for me to have patience and I wanted to slap her. That's craziness. Why would I think that way? It's not about what's going on. It's about the character of Christ being formed in me. So if I'm scared that life's going to happen to me, it only proves I'm still rooted in something that's wrong. Because in the midst of it, prayer gets me in touch with God so that God's power can rise and God's will can be done. Man, I just have this vision of Paul saying to us, guys, do you understand the place you have? It's through Jesus, he's the king, that we become the house where the presence abides and doesn't leave because we're under grace, because it's a finished work, because it's a good gospel. And in this place, we have unbroken fellowship and we just have access and we can just have conversation with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit at all times. It's unbroken on our beds when we wake up in the car, on the way to work, at work, on the way home, in the midst of the divorce proceedings, while we're at our loved one's hospital bedside, when the thing has gone to hell in a handbasket and there's nothing I can do about it, he's not left. On the good days and the bad days, we pray. And the grace flows and the Holy Spirit comes and the perspective changes completely. And there are things sometimes we wrestle with prayer. Paul said of the Galatians, he's in the pain of childbirth, praying until Christ is formed in you, Galatians. And it has nothing to do, by the way, with how he feels about him and their response to him. It has everything to do with how he feels about them and what, what, what's going wrong in their hearts now that they've rejected his message. Now that they believe the lie about Paul, now they believe the lie about Paul's message, but he's not worried about what they think about him. He's worried about what they think about the gospel shifting so that they get in trouble and he's weeping not because of them, for them. And he's so there's a time to labor in prayer and there's a time to rejoice in prayer next next verse. I'm sorry, same verse, other half of the verse. And we give thanks. Almost every single time Paul mentions prayer, he mentions giving thanks. Almost every single time Paul mentions prayer, he mentions giving thanks. I'm going to have to keep repeating that for a few more moments. Almost every single time Paul mentions prayer, he mentions giving thanks. Almost every single time that Paul mentions prayer, he instantly goes into a conversation about thanksgiving. Be alert. Keep a clear mind. Devote yourselves to prayer. Being watchful and thankful. We always pray to you and give thanks. And if you track this theme of prayer in Paul's usage, giving thanks is not far behind. Why? You know it's possible to pray with your mind fixated on the problems in such a way that the prayer makes you weaker, more anxious, more intimidated, more misguided, and more deceived. I've prayed myself into heart palpitations. I've prayed myself into near panic attacks. I've prayed myself into greater levels of fear and smaller levels of faith. Because my prayers were not dominated by the gospel. Because my prayers were not dominated by what what he's about to say a couple chapters down the road in Colossians chapter 3 where he says, fix your eyes, fix your mind on heavenly things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, not on earthly things. So in your prayers, though you're praying about some earthly things... Our hearts have to be so rooted in some heavenly things that thanksgiving abounds. And yes, thanksgiving, th- thankfulness is a huge virtue. Th- counting your blessings is a really important thing. But the specific blessings that Paul wants us to count are gospel blessings about what's already finished in Christ. The specific blessings he wants our prayers to be dominated by, the thankfulness he wants our, our prayers dominated by, are gospel, gospel finished truths that we can bank on. God, I thank you that I'm in Christ. God, I thank you that the Father is for me. God, I thank you that nothing can separate me from your love. God, I thank you that Jesus has overcome Satan, sin, death, hell, and all, all of any any opposing forces to truth and life in your kingdom. He's overcome all of them and nothing can separate us from your love. God, I thank you that the one who started a good work in me is going to be faithful to complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. God, I thank you that these Colossians have heard the gospel and they're bearing fruit. God, I thank you that their hearts, having come awake and alive with this reality of what Jesus has done, that they have then gone, oh my word, and their hearts instinctively then said, I trust you, Jesus. And when they instinctively trusted in you, Jesus, they then saw their value and heard your voice and then they had a fresh look on their neighbor and said, oh my word, you're amazing too. He loves you just the same way so that the faith in Jesus and the love for the saint come from the finished work, the good news, not good advice. God, will you deliver your church from good advice? God, will you free us from the, the, the disgusting disaster called good advice? God, will you free us from the empty treadmill of good advice and bring us into the glory and the power of good news? God, will you free us from the empty well of us trying to complete in the power of the flesh what you already finished instead of receiving it, believing it, letting it come in, rest, get rooted in it and letting Holy Spirit fashion and form it and make it manifest in practical action in this world? He can't even talk about prayer without saying thankful right after it because his prayers are so dominated by heaven realities, by Jesus realities, by grace realities, so that for him, almost every prayer says, I thank you, Father, right at the beginning. A great prayer exercise is for us to just say, God, I thank you that, and then say what comes next. And just put God, I thank you that on the board. God, I thank you that, dot, dot, dot. And just see how how long you can go. Can you go five minutes? God, I thank you that. God, I thank you that. Can you go ten minutes? Paul can go day and night. He's not blind to the brokenness of the world. He's rooted in another world. He's not working from the problem. He's not working because of the problem. He's not in this because people are going to hell. He's in this because Jesus took hell and is bringing people to heaven. Am I making sense? It's not what's wrong with the world that's motivating him. It's not what's wrong with humans that's motivating Paul's gospel ministry. It's what's right with God. It's what's right with Jesus. It's what's right and what's valuable in people. It's the heavenly perspective driving everything in him. Prayer with thankfulness constantly. Unbroken access because of Jesus. I'm his temple because the covenant with the king. Jesus. It's why the glory falls. It's why he doesn't leave. He's faithful to me for Jesus' sake. It's why we pray every prayer in Jesus' name. You know it, right? It's why. It's precisely the same reason the Spirit came on the Old Testament tabernacle for David's sake is why we pray every prayer in Jesus' name. Because Jesus is the man in covenant who's standing in between us and God, and we step into Jesus. Everything we have, we have by being in Jesus. That was a weird way to walk. Let's try that again. What is that? What is that? We always pray and we always give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus. It's our, it's our Lord Jesus that has brought us home to God the Father. It's our Lord Jesus that's brought us back into the, the affections of our. It's our Lord Jesus that's brought us back into the affections of the Father. He's brought us into the esteem of the Father. He's brought us back into the place where we can receive the love of the Father. He's brought us back into the place where we can hear the voice of the Father. He's brought us back into the place where the party in heaven over rec- redeemed sons and daughters can. The party that's actually going on in the heavenly realms. The record that's playing in heaven, which is a good record, and it's dancing. Man, I don't know. It's crazy. When I came here, when I first came here, there was a policy on the books that said no dancing is allowed, Butch. There was a council policy that said no dancing. <laughs> I know. I'm not saying it's your fault, dude. I was on the council. You weren't. <laughs> and, I, and I affirmed it, not because I believed it, but because I was trying to honor like specific people. But there's dancing in heaven. <laughs> it's not on the books anymore, I don't think. But there's dancing in heaven. There's singing and there's dancing and there's a party and there's killing the fatted calf and there's dancing the jig and there's hooping and there's hollering and it's Holy Ghost hoedown up in there. And if it's not happening on earth, it's because we aren't seeing it. It's, if it's not happening on earth, it's because we aren't understanding it. It's because we're not receiving what the Father is saying about it. It's because we're not sensing it. Oh, well, you can't talk about the Father without all of a sudden wanting to get into a party. Now let's talk about the logic of verse 4. He's always praying for the Colossians and he's always giving thanks because he's heard of their faith. He ain't even met these folks. And he's praying for them. Who are you praying for you never met? Were you praying for Kanye West before he met Jesus? You were. It worked. Who else are you praying for that doesn't know Jesus? Jesus. Uh, you don't have to answer that. I'm putting you on the spot. I figured that. I figured that, Amber. I used to pray for Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins all the time because I love him. You, know, you don't know Smashing Pumpkins. I'm old now. <laughs> getting, I'm getting old. And the people who are twice my age are like, hey, easy killer. I'm 80, but I ain't old. Back off. And I'm like, you're not. Old is a number. you know. Or old is not a number. It's an attitude. <sighs> and then, of course, there's the biblical thing where it's like gray hair is actually a dignity and an honor. It's like means wise means experienced. Abraham started when he was eighty, you know. Didn't have his kid till he was even older than that. Or no, he was older. It was Moses started in his eighties. Abraham started even yeah okay. I sometimes look at that stuff and I go, man, we're like, well, we better retired sixty five. Like, what book are you reading? But he's praying for people he hasn't even met. As soon as he heard the gospel reached them and their hearts and their lives were totally transformed by Jesus' love, which came the good news about Jesus' death for them, for their sake, so that he could get sin off of them and bring them home as redeemed sons and daughters, that they could have their past completely erased and replaced with his faithful past and their future completely declared, going to heaven forever, being an amazing place of endless joy. My future is secure. My past is dealt with, so my present is completely dominated by those two realities." That's news, not advice. Come on, baby. Jesus' past has erased mine. Jesus' resurrection and present rule guarantees my future. Come on. Now that's where we live. And that's what this passage says. It says that their faith in Jesus and their love for the saints come from that truth, landing on them and renovating their interior world and then Paul hears about it and says, oh, "Man, I'm praying for them and I'm praying for them. And I've been praying for you guys ever since I heard that this gospel landed on you and landed with fruit. Ever since I heard, I haven't stopped praying for you. Man, keep going. Keep praying. Keep talking to them. It matters. It works. Nah, I hate to say it that way because it's God who works. Amen. And here's another, here's another little clue. It's not the strength of your prayer. It's not the volume of your prayer. It's not the level of certainty in your prayer. I literally gave myself a, a hernia. I don't think God moved any further that day <laughs> than when I quieted down and kept praying. I was standing right there. I, prayed. I called Doc Mast on the phone. I said, Hey, Doc. I think something's wrong. And he goes, oh, yeah. Sounds like a hernia to me. It only hurts when I laugh and also talk loudly and, he's, and cough. And he's like, oh, boy. And he says, what were you doing? I said, I was praying. And he goes, maybe just, like, you know, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> and I'm like, but it feels good to pray that hard. I said, yeah, but whose benefit's that for And I get it. Like, I understand, like, praying with your whole heart. Like, the scripture talks about, like, singing to the Lord with your whole, with all your strength, with your whole heart. And some people be in church with their arms crossed, sitting down, not making a noise. And I'm going, they're worshiping with their whole heart. They just didn't tell their body, they forgot to tell their body. You know? You watch somebody who's in an Olympic race, that's doing something with your whole heart. So I'm not saying passion don't matter. Passion matters a great deal. In fact, there's a story in the Old Testament of, of a prophet coming to one of the kings and saying, hey, uh, take this bundle of arrows and uh, smack it on the ground a few times. Or smack, doesn't say a few times. He says, smack it on the ground. That's what I'm going to do the, to the Arameans. So he smacks it on the ground just like, you know, what is it, three times, but not very hard. And the prophet shakes his head and he goes, what are you doing? If you would have like smacked it on the ground five times, really, really hard, we would have totally destroyed the Arameans. As it is, we're only going to partially defeat him. Well, that's an interesting passage. You know what? It, you, you know you know what that means. The amount of passion that guy put into that symbolic action was the amount of actual literal stuff God released on the earth. Passion matters. But here's what I know: if Moses' hands are up, they win. If his hands go limp, they start losing. Sometimes how you feel about it is not as important as what you're doing with it. Sometimes. Oh, he's giving contradictory information. What's he talking about? Sometimes your faith is so small that the fact that you even tried to pray counts as mustard seed. And God says, Yep. But it doesn't change the fact that great faith is valuable, too. Very valuable. Okay, okay, come on. Get back to the text. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. I think part of the problem, Paul says that this present suffering, whatever sufferings that we are going through, they're not worth comparing to the glory that's about to be revealed. When Paul says the light, that's Romans 8 that I'm saying there, when Paul says in Romans 8, the, it's, these sufferings, whatever, however, whatever, however hard it is as you walk with Jesus, it's not even worth comparing to the glory about to happen. Right. Now that right there, what that perspective is, you know what that's called? It's called Truth. Truth. If, that's, if, if you believe that truth, what does it do toward, in your own attitude toward your sufferings? You weigh them differently, don't you? Yes. You know how many of us weigh our sufferings relative to how we perceive the people around us instead of relative to eternity and relative to Jesus? And then we give ourselves an excuse to make what we're going through the most important thing about our lives. And Paul's saying, listen, if you see, if you see this hope clearly, it creates trust in Jesus and love for people. If you don't see this hope clearly, it erodes trust in Jesus. Now you're having a faith crisis and it's why is God allowing this and I can't trust you and all that stuff. And it's what they're doing to you, speaking louder than this gospel if you let this gospel really transform so that the present sufferings, you don't even worth compa- you're not even worth comparing. Or take 2 Corinthians, where he says, these light and momentary afflictions are, are actually, they themselves are what are they are mm, they're attaining, they're preparing us. They're de- they, they are the process that's delivering us into an eternal weight. Light and momentary affliction is preparing and shaping and honing and crafting, and it's exposing things within us. It's weight testing. It's revealing the weak spots. It's, it's, come, it's causing things to come up so they can come out. And it's preparing us for an eternal weight. Etern- Look, how do you measure eternal? Eternal weight of glory. The word glory is kavod. The word kavod is called, is trans- the, it's translated glory, but literally it means Heavy. The heaviness of God. The depth of God. The, these light and momentary afflictions. In light of this, this weight of glory. See, there's, when our gospel lenses come on, it puts us in a position of hope that causes us to say yes more to Jesus and then turn and become love to people. Paul hadn't stopped thanking God He hasn't even met these folks, but he knows that's what's happened in these folks because that's how the gospel works everywhere, always. That's enough for today. Go ahead and stand.